Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace towards us. And so, Lord, we come before you now and we ask for more of it. Lord, we know that Christ's death is of great value to you, of infinite value. And so, Lord, we can ask for mercy and know that you can give it through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that you would have mercy upon us as we come to your word. We pray that you would give us ears to listen by your mercy, give us hearts to understand and to change by your mercy. And so, Lord, we pray that we would go from here far greater in your mercy and stronger in the faith as a result of gathering together in your name. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we come back to the book of Hebrews. We've taken quite a break from it, uh, but we return to Hebrews chapter 12, which is on page 1193 of the Black Church Bibles, and I encourage you to have it open before you this morning. We've actually been working on the book of Hebrews for quite some time. I believe I first started it when I arrived here back in 2009. And so we've gone away and come back, gone away and come back, gone away and come back, and I hope that this time... When we return, it will be once and for all that uh, we will not be returning to the book of Hebrews after this session in it. But last time, which was earlier this year, we looked at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 and saw that it is full of a catalogue, basically, or a hall of fame, so to speak, of heroes of the faith. The book of Hebrews has been encouraging people to trust in Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews is actually written to people who are Jews who'd become Christians, but then for some reason had been thinking of leaving Christianity and going back to Judaism. And the author has been saying again and again to the people, no, you cannot go back to Judaism because do you not realize that Jesus is superior to everything that has come before? Jesus is a superior a prophet, he's a superior uh, priest, he's a superior sacrifice to everything that Judaism has to offer. And so you're absolutely foolish to go back to Judaism. Keep following after Jesus and put your faith in him. And so the end of Hebrews chapter 10 encourages the readers to remember what they are. Hebrews chapter 10, if you flip back with me to page 1191, verse 39, it says in verse 39, Hebrews chapter 10, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. And that is what we are supposed to be as well this morning. We're supposed to be people who believe and are saved. And then Hebrews chapter 11, which we studied in greater detail last time, gives this catalogue of all these heroes of the faith, people in the Old Testament who followed after God, who believed in him, they trusted in him, they had faith in him, and they lived holy and reverent lives as a result. And so these people are meant to be an encouragement to us to trust in Christ ourselves. And that is what the author does in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 12, which is where we're picking up our studies today. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, we read, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The author encourages us, to run in this verse, to run the race with perseverance that is marked out for us. And we're meant to do that because God has 
given us this pathway of which we were to follow after Jesus, and we're meant to do it because we have been inspired by all these people who have come before us, who have lived by faith and run that race as well. Running is the main verb in verse 1. That is what we're supposed to do. All the other verbs there help us to run, help us to know how we are to run. And the first thing that we're supposed to do in terms of running, the way that we're supposed to be encouraged to do that is by this cloud of witnesses. We read that in verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run. Why are we supposed to run? Well, verse 1 says there, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. We have these, all these people who are listed here in Hebrews chapter 11. All these people are like a cloud of witnesses around us, encouraging us to run as well, to live by faith too. And it's not as though some people actually believe that it's saying that they, they are watching from heaven. All these people who have lived following God in the past, and now they're in heaven, they're looking down on us and watching us, they're spectators, so to speak. I don't think that's what the text is saying. Instead, what it's saying is all these people have lived before and they are now witnesses to us that we too can live by faith just like they lived by faith. Each of them are listed by faith they did this, by faith they did that. And we need to be encouraged by their faith to have faith ourselves in God. And this is a common concept, particularly when it comes to uh, sport, from what I can understand, that professional athletes, the heroes, often inspire the amateurs to have a go as well, to get involved. And I actually see this each year. I've started to work out when the cricket is actually on TV. I'm not someone who's into sport at all. I don't follow any sporting team whatsoever, any sport at all. But... I started to realise around New Year, Christmas, January, late December, that there'd be men, grown men, and teenage boys playing cricket in the surrounding apartments along the long driveways. They'd start playing cricket around this time of year. And I thought at first, oh, it's just because they've got some time on their hands because there's so many public holidays, they've got a bit of time off, and so they start playing cricket. Then I realised, oh, it's actually what's being shown on TV at the moment. As these people are sitting down and watching professional athletes play, they then are encouraged to have a go themselves. And so these guys come out of their apartments, I don't think they know one another, and they start to have a little bit of a neighbourly match of cricket in the apartments surrounding where we live here. What is going on? Professional athletes are encouraging amateur athletes, if you call them athletes at all, to have a go themselves. And that is what Hebrews 12 is encouraging us to do. Because we've got all these heroes of the faith in chapter 11, we are supposed to run as well. We have this great cloud of people around us who should inspire us to live by faith too, just as they did. As you read your Old Testament, as you read your New Testament, you should look at these people and say, I want to be like them. I want to be like Abraham. I want to be like Moses. I want to be like Joseph. I want to live by faith like he lived by faith. I want to be like Rahab. I want to live like her, she did. And you can do this even with modern Christians, contemporary Christians. 
ones who are outside the Bible. You can look at their lives in biographies, Christian biographies, and go, I want to live like they lived. I do this with certain biographies that I really like. I want to be like that person. And even in your local church, as you're surrounded by people who are living by faith, you should use them as a cloud of witnesses to you that you too can live like they did. It's one thing to read about someone and you sometimes go, "Mm, is that really true? It's another thing to see someone living by faith around you and you say, I can do that too. If he can do it, if she can do it, I can do it too. I can run the race that they are running and be like them. But how can you run well? How can you run like these people in Hebrews chapter 11? How can you run like people at the local church that you may be a part of and are inspired by? How can you run well? Well, the text actually tells you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. How can you run like the heroes of the faith? Well, it's by throwing off everything that adversely affects your running. Like what? Well, the text tells you one thing that you should be throwing off is sin. We see that there. It says that we're meant to throw off the sin that so easily entangles. And this is what athletes do. They make sure that they do the right thing. Sin is lawlessness. When you break the law of God, that is sin. And athletes know that there are certain rules that if they break those, then they're not going to be doing very well in the race at all. And so they throw off any bad habits, any foods that they're not supposed to eat or substances that they're not supposed to take. They get rid of those out of their lives so that they can run well. I always think it's funny when you see the Olympic walkers, the way that they walk. It, looks, it doesn't look like walking to me at all. It looks like a, uh, some sort of running. But it's because they have specific rules about what they can and can't do, about how, long, what, how their feet are meant to be on the ground, how their knees are meant to connect as well. I actually watched a little YouTube video this week in preparation for the sermon on the rules of Olympic uh, walking and what they're supposed to do with their feet. And they actually rotate their hips in a particular way, so they keep the rules, but it makes them look very funny as they walk. But if you're going to take part in some sort of event, some sort of professional sport, you have to make sure that you follow the rules. If you don't, you're not going to compete very well at all. You may even be disqualified. And so it is with our race in following God. As we run to glory, as we run after Jesus Christ, as we live by faith, the race that is marked out for us, We must make sure that we keep the rules, that we don't sin. We're not supposed to break God's rules because if we do, they easily entangle us. That's what the verse says, a sin that so easily entangles. When you break God's law, it's like a trap that goes around your feet and pulls you down so that you can't run as well as you should. Satan lays these snares for us and sin. And when we fall into them, We don't run as we should. So what is the particular sin for you this morning that as you live by faith is still ensnaring you? Is there something that jumped into your mind just then? As I said, what is the particular sin that is entangling you so regularly? 
That's the one I'm after. I thought about listing a whole bunch of different sins that may be entangling you this morning. But I thought, if I just put it out there, what's a sin that jumps into your mind immediately? As I challenge you this morning, what is a sin that entangles your feet as you run? What jumps into your mind? Is there something that jumps in there straight away? Something that your mind starts to try and justify that it's, oh, not that big a deal. It wouldn't entangle my feet that much as I run before God. Now, that's the one we were after. That's the sin that you need to start dealing with. That's the one that's entangling you and stopping you from living by faith as the heroes have of old. If God says it's sin, then it has to be thrown off so it no longer entangles you. But it's interesting, the text doesn't just say sin needs to be thrown off. What else does it say? It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. See, there's some things in life that are not technically sin, but they're not particularly helpful. They're a little bit more of a grey area. And the word hinders here can be translated a weight or a bulk or a burden. And if you think about it, an athlete, a sprinter, professional sprinter at the Olympics, he could run in his tracksuit, but it probably would hinder him in getting a gold medal. So what does he do? He takes it off. He throws off his jacket and he runs without it so that he can run all the faster, so that it doesn't hinder him. The thing is, as a Christian, there are many things that weigh us down, that could be gotten rid of. That, When you look at the scriptures and you look at what you're doing, you're thinking, there's no verse that says, thou shalt not do that. But then you think about it and think, it's actually stopping me from worshipping God as effectively as I could. It's actually stopping me from serving God as well as I could. What sort of things are we talking about? What are the obvious backpacks that Christians often have on their, on their backs as they're meant to be running, but they burden themselves up with backpacks as though they're an Olympic sprinter trying to sprint with something very bulky on his back? What are the things? Well, it can be the things that usually consume your leisure time. When you've got some free time... What do you do with it? And it's those kinds of things that often take away our time from worshipping God that mean that we have little time for God. It can be things like television. Apparently, Australians watch hours and hours of television every day. Video games, novels, social media, Facebook and Twitter, sport itself. There's lots of things that can take up our leisure time. What's your indulgence? that you like to spend your time on, that actually gets in your way as you seek to run before God, as you seek to worship him, as you seek to follow him and serve him, you don't actually have time to do much for God because you've filled up your life, you've filled up your hands and your shoulders and your back there, and you can't do much for him because you've filled up your life with all these things that hinder, that should be thrown off. So those are the obvious weights, things that consume our leisure time, but there's other things that can hinder us that are less obvious, other weights that are harder to deal with, because they usually involve some sort of social obligation, such as work, friends, family. These are things that we're supposed to engage in, we're supposed to work, you're supposed to have a relationship with your friends and with your family. But often they can actually start to consume your life in such a way that they hinder your worship of God as well. 
If you regularly can't worship God because I've got to work, isn't that hindering you as you run? And shouldn't you be modifying it in some way, throwing it off in some manner? If your friends and family in some way are hindering you as you run before God, then in some way, sensitively, you've got to be able to work out how do I throw them off? Not altogether, but modify my time with them so that I do have time to run the race that is set before me. What regularly weighs you down so that you can't worship and serve God as you should? Now, how can you ensure that you do run well, that you do throw these things off? Because it's hard to cut TV out of your life. It's hard to minimise your time on Facebook. It's hard to work out how do I say no to work? How do I say no to friends and family when they're starting to impinge upon my race before God, my living by faith? Well, the text actually tells us. Verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. How do I do that, God? Well, verse 2 tells you, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. How can you run well? Well, ultimately, it's by fixing your eyes on Jesus. Why Jesus? Well, the text tells you. Verse 2, it says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Remember, we're meant to live by faith. Again and again, if you read chapter 11 of Hebrews today, if you've kind of forgotten what we did because it's so long ago now with Hebrews chapter 11, if you look again and again, it says, By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. But where's that faith come from? comes from Jesus. He's the author of our faith. If we go back to the running illustration, he's like the recruiter who worked out that you were coming onto the racetrack. He's the coach that sought you out and said, you're going to start running. He's the one who's granted you faith so that you're actually in the race. So then you should fix your eyes on him because he knows who you are and he knows the event that you're running because he's put you there. And he's not just the one who puts you there, he's the perfecter of your faith as well. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He's not just the coach who gets you onto the track and says, okay, I'm going to leave you now, go run. No, he's the one who perfects your faith. He's the one who's there encouraging you as you run. And he's going to make sure that he is there at the finish line when you cross it. He's the one who will perfect it, take it all the way through so that you'll actually make it to the end of the race. And this is so true. We're meant to throw off the things that hinder us, including sin. And Jesus is the one who throws it off. He's the author of our faith, which means he's the one who actually gets rid of sin to begin with. He's the one who gets rid of our guilt and the consequences of our sin, cleanses us so that we can race. And then he's the one that continues to remove the sin from our lives as we run. As you sin this last week and you claim to be a Christian, he's the one who continues to cleanse it away and perfect you and help you grow in grace. But why should you have Jesus as your coach? Yes, he's put you on the racetrack, 
He's going to perfect it, but maybe there's somebody else who could do it faster and better. A lot of of the cults like to teach that they found somebody else that you should go to. Why is Jesus the one to have? Well, he's already run the race and ran it perfectly and won the race. Jesus is the perfect witness of how to run the race well. Better than Abraham, better than Moses, better than Joseph, better than everybody listed in Hebrews chapter 11, better than anyone you can think of, Jesus is the one who has run the race the best. And the text actually tells you to focus on what Jesus did when he ran the race. It says in verse 2, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who... For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Do you realize that you have the perfect retired athlete as your coach when you are running the race set out before you by God? The race of faith. Jesus is the one who endured the cross and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He went through far more suffering than you can even imagine as he ran the race that was set before him. He endured the very harshest of all conditions. You think your life is hard as you run for God. Jesus had it far worse. And yet, he endured it and he won the race. He is finished. And so he is the perfect retired athlete to have as your coach as you run for God. And so are you really not going to pay attention to Jesus? Are you not going to fix your eyes on him? Are you really not going to listen to his instructions as given in the scriptures? Are you not going to ask for his help by prayer? Are you not going to study his life and particularly his sufferings as they encourage you that as you suffer, Christ suffered far more, and he was able to pull it off. And by his help, I can as well. Focusing on Christ, fixing your eyes on Jesus, is the key to running the race well. If you fix your eyes on Christ, the sin and the dead weights that we're looking at before that entangle and hinder you as you run, they're easy to strip off. Jesus forgives the sin, But then as you try and get rid of these sins out of your life that you really like and the things that hinder you in worship of God that you really like, as you focus on Jesus, those things start to pale. The pleasures of sin can't compete with the pleasures of Christ, of knowing Christ. The pleasure of watching television starts to be dull and boring in comparison to reading the scriptures. You actually value the Bible far more than you value your television set. Why? Because you've started to fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the key to winning the race. Because the things that you're meant to throw off will be easy to throw off if you start to put your eyes on him. And if you fix your eyes on Jesus, you're guaranteed to finish the race. Your sin is removed through his work at the cross. And even if you run with some weights on you, which you all do, right up until the very end when you die or Jesus returns, you'll still be struggling with something. You can't be perfect in this world. But right up to the end, you'll be struggling with something. But because you've fixed your eyes on Jesus, he'll get you over that line because his blood is sufficient. 
and you will indeed win the race. So if you wish to run the race well, do what verse 3 says. Consider him. Consider him. Consider him. Consider Jesus Christ. You cannot focus on Christ enough if you want to run the race, if you want to worship God rightly. Why do you need this encouragement? To focus on Christ, to throw off the things that so easily entangled? Well, it's because the Christian race is a hard race. And you see that in verse 3. It says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The Bible is very clear that living as a Christian can cause you to grow weary and lose heart. There are persecutions for being a Christian. There are discouragements. There are struggles. There's fatigue sets in. I encourage you, take advantage of older Christians who are here this morning. Stay for church lunch. Everybody's welcome. And talk to an older Christian and say, is the Christian race easy? And see what they have to say. Ask them, are the words in Amazing Grace true? Where they say, through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Is that actually true about the Christian life, that there's many dangers, toils and snares? And see what they say. Because from my experience, the Christian race is indeed hard. There is reason to grow weary and lose heart. And so we need encouragement to fix our eyes on Jesus, to consider Christ. So then you may be asking, why race at all? If it's going to be weary, work, if I'm going to lose heart, and I need to fix my eyes on Jesus, isn't it just easier to give in to the sin and fall down and bow out? Well, there is a joy to be won. And Jesus knew that when he was in the running. What does it say in verse 2? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew that there was joy in running the race of faith, that there was joy to be obtained, that he would go to glory with God the Father and sit down at his right hand in incomprehensible joy, that there's this marvellous joy. If you follow Christ, if you live by faith, if you worship God, you can experience that joy as well of glorifying God in this world and then in the world to come. And so you can ask an older Christian at lunch today, is it true that through many dangers, toils and snares I have already come? Is that true in Amazing Grace that there is much weariness in the Christian life? But you can also ask, but is the next line true as well? That says, "'Tis grace has brought me, that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home." Is that true as well? That grace has actually brought you through those many dangers, toils and snares, And you actually know that grace will lead you home, that you have such a joy in this world and you look forward to such a joy in the next life, that it's worth running, it's worth racing, despite the weariness, despite the losing of heart in the race. Maybe you're not a Christian and you're here this morning. I love that you're here amongst us and you've never begun the race I want you to know that you're missing much joy. 
that there is a joy in following Christ in this world that can't be described in comparison to other joys that sin offers. And there's a joy that is to come that we read about in the pages of Scripture that is worth racing for. So I encourage you that today should be the day that you start fixing your eyes on Christ so that you have forgiveness of sin by the cross and you begin to run, really run. You come in repentance and faith and start to anticipate the joy of heaven. That can be your joy too. And so I encourage you to do that. Consider him who suffered. Consider him today. But if you are a Christian, are you weary? Are you losing your heart as you run to glory? Is your worship cold and often even absent when it should be there? Is your service of the Lord serving other people who God has called you to serve? Is that non-existent? Now, you may blame the fact that it's hard to follow God. And yes, it's not a walk in the park, following God, worshipping him as you should. But you're in a race and a battle, and you need to remember that. And it's part of the problem that you are weary and losing heart is that you haven't listened to the advice of Hebrews chapter 12. You've forgotten about the great cloud of witnesses that encourage you to run, that there's these professional athletes that you should be remembering so that you will run as well. Is it because you're weary and you've, you've, uh, you've grown weary and lost heart because you rarely read your Old Testament? You rarely read your New Testament? You rarely associate with other believers? So you really do lack inspiration to run the race that God has set before you? Why are you weighed down with certain sins? There's certain sins in your life that you've never repented of. And so it's not surprising you're weary in following Jesus. Or is it that you weighed down with certain habits that you should have thrown off a long time ago, but they've gotten in the way so that you've lost heart? I encourage you this morning, fix your eyes on Christ. Christ's work, Christ's suffering, Christ's joy. You lose sight of Jesus. You lose the race. And so I encourage you this morning, look to Christ. And then you'll have an interest in looking at those who have followed him by faith. And you will be interested in him far more than anything this world can offer. So is today the day that you pick yourself up from a weariness, from a loss of heart, and start to run and run well because you've started to focus on Christ as you should have been all along. Let's come to him in prayer. Let's speak with him now. Lord Jesus Christ, it is so wonderful that you have run the race that was set before you, that you live perfectly by faith, and that you have experienced the joy that was set before you, so that you even endured the cross and you scorned its shame and you have sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so, Lord, we can fix our eyes on you, knowing that you are the author and perfecter of our faith. 
Lord, we pray that everybody in this room would be repentant of their sins and start to run the race of faith if they've never before. And Lord, we pray for those of us who've been running for a long time, who have maybe grown weary and lost heart. Oh Lord, we pray that we would indeed throw off sin and everything that hinders us. And Lord, we pray that we would continue to focus our eyes upon Christ as we should. So Lord, we pray that you would watch over us, protect us from the evil one who loves to ensnare us, and help us to live by faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.